Welcome, everyone. I'm Spiro. Thanks for tuning in. August 8th is the second Expose Bill Gates Day. Hashtag Expose Bill Gates on Twitter. And joining me today uh, to discuss Bill Gates, the vaccine, and the overarching agenda that is being rolled out in response to the coronavirus is independent journalist James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. James, it's nice to see you. It's been a while. Thank you for being my guest today. Thank you for having me. Let's uh, let's talk about some very important things that are happening right now and what we can actually do about them. That That's the part that I'm interested the most there and what we can do about it. And, and we'll get to that here in a little bit. Uh, but recently, Bill Gates was asked uh, what he would do if he were president of the United States. And here's what he said. If you were in charge right now, Bill, maybe even the president of the United States, what would you do? Well, you know, trying to denigrate Dr. Fauci probably isn't the best uh, approach. You want the experts to get the airtime, you know, let them talk about, uh, you know, what drug trials have worked, which ones haven't. Don't, you know, uh, mislead people on those things. And, you know, the U.S. CDC is a very capable organization, the best in the world. You know, Dr. Fauci and I talk on a regular basis about this innovation pipeline and how our foundation and NIH are funding uh, both the first wave of vaccines and then uh, a second uh, wave of vaccines. And so the capacity to do this right exists in the country. You just build a website, put the CDC's name on it, and it will prioritize who, who should get tested. You get the message about masks to be a, you know, kind of bar bipartisan, let's protect uh, other people uh, type message. And then you engage in the complex discussion about which things it's beneficial to reopen, like, you know, perhaps kids under 15, uh, whereas, you know, schools for older kids in communities with uh, lots of uh, infection, sadly, you probably aren't going to be able to uh, do in person. Now, James, uh, it's interesting to see that straight out of the gate, Bill Gates defends Dr. Tony Fauci. Uh, what is your response uh, to seeing this video of Bill Gates' response? And what do you think the world would actually be like if Bill Gates were president of the United States? Well, you know, it's such an interesting question. It's a revealing question, not because I think the response is itself interesting. I mean, he says everything that we would expect him to say there, including, you know, trust, follow the science and listen to Fauci and all of that. Uh, what is interesting about it is the implicit assumptions that are embedded in that question, as if, oh, if he were president, then Bill Gates would have power. But because he's not president, you know, he just has to sit on the sidelines and wring his hands, which is, of course, the exact opposite of reality. Because if he was president and he was up there lecturing the public, OK, everyone has to wear their mask and listen to Fauci, then just by default, just because he would pick one of the two flavors, Coke or Pepsi, to, uh, you know, you can only be two flavors. So he has to be one of them. So just by the act of choosing one of the teams the other half of the population would be against whatever he says by default. And who knows, maybe even some people within his own team would not like what he said, so they'd be against him as well. Uh, instantly, you'd have some sort of uh, a kickback against what you're saying. But no, Bill Gates is a 
benevolent billionaire philanthropist who loves everyone and just wants the best for you and your family's health so he can sit there on the sidelines and give billions and billions of dollars away, just give his fortune away to help you and your friends by man, by b creating entire institutional frameworks that will ultimately be the, uh, the, the bodies that partner up with Big Pharma in order to basically increase his own investments in the vaccine industry. I mean, it's, it's on its face, it's ridiculous, but it's because it has been embedded in our brains since we were children that only the president has the power to govern the country, which is the exact opposite of this reality. And so it says a lot that that question is even on the table. And I'll throw it back to one of the Gates family's mentors, David Rockefeller. Uh, it's a, maybe an apocryphal, I don't know if there's a source on this quotation, but it's often said that when David Rockefeller was asked, Mr. Rockefeller, why don't you become president? He responded, I don't want to take a demotion. Now, again, I don't know if that's a true quotation, but it certainly is the truth. David Rockefeller did not want a demotion by becoming president of the United States. That's a stupid, that's a chumps game. That's the political puppets that we throw out to the public so you can fight over them like a dog chewing on a toy. I don't want any part of that. I'm the guy behind the scenes who's funding the institutional frameworks that create the reality you are living in. And that is exactly what role Gates is playing right now. So... I, I, if he was president, it would actually probably be better for us because at least half of the population would be guaranteed to be against everything he was saying. But we don't live in that reality. We live in a reality where he's floating on the clouds as a philanthropist, and that is actually to our detriment. Uh, well said, James. Uh, and that was essentially my takeaway from it as well. Uh, Bill Gates, I mean, he's he's already basically declared the most powerful man in medicine worldwide. And this is Politico saying this, that he's the most powerful doctor in the world, and he's not even a doctor. So it's just mind-boggling mind there. Now, James, I want to go back to the very beginning of the outbreak. I know some people will say that the source of the virus is irrelevant. It's the agenda behind it that uh, should have the focus of our attention. And I, I would agree with that to a large extent, but, you know— uh, in in the in the you know sense of any proper investigation, this is certainly a part that needs to be looked at, studied, and analyzed. Now, others would say that there is no virus, and you know whatever. I mean, nobody really knows. I think at this point, but what we do know is that the official story is garbage as usual. Uh, the virus came from bat soup, right? Now, some believe that the virus may have leaked from the Level Four bioweapons lab located right there in Wuhan, China. But uh, what nobody seems to ever want to talk about is that on the exact same day as a pandemic simulation of the global coronavirus outbreak, which was hosted by Johns Hopkins in partnership with Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the World Economic Forum, the World Military Games were holding their opening ceremonies in the exact same day, uh, right before the coronavirus outbreak. 10,000 military athletes, not including the support personnel from 110 different nations around the world, all in Wuhan, China, which we are all led to believe is ground zero of this outbreak. Uh, what are the chances of all of this? And, and what is your take on this in general? Well, let's look at the generation defining black ops of the past century, like, for example, JFK or 9-11. In operations like that, if there's anything that we've learned over the years, it's that there's going to be 
18 different cookie crumb trails embedded in these stories so that there there's something crazy over here that'll capture your attention there's something crazy over there that'll capture your attention that never never will be resolved because it's all in the past now and there's no way to prove anything so people will fight and ultimately entire warring internecine classes of of doctrines about JFK and 9-11 and whatever arise and you don't agree with what I think about this particular thing so therefore you're wrong and I think if we've learned anything it's that that's actually by design because of course if you do want a successful black op to go ahead you will have to implant a lot of crazy trails and stories and things and things that seem to connect in weird ways and what the hell is that about mysteries embedded in there that of course are fascinating and will attract the conspiracy theorists, uh, the realists who actually want to look into what happened. I think we're going to have to assume that that is what is happening with regards to this. So yes, I mean, there are all sorts of crazy things like Event 201, like the Wuhan games, like that bizarre whatever was happening around Fort Detrick last year with the outbreak of this. And then there was the vaping thing they were trying to blame it on, but it was some, there were clusters of these these, uh, pneumonia-like illnesses that were happening. And I mean, there's so many different things that we could look at. And again, yes, I don't have the definitive here is exactly what happened. And I don't think anyone will ever come to that at this point, unless we get the signed, sealed, delivered confession from, you know, one of the insiders of the plot. Unlikely. Um, But what we do know and what we can absolutely prove is all of that institutional framework and all of the preparation, all of the planning that for decades that has gone into this very scenario, the pandemic outbreak scenario, uh, most most obviously announced by the front man for this agenda right now, Bill Gates, back in 2015 when he started doing the media rounds warning about the next pandemic and all of this. And, oh, he was such a an incredible foresight. He, he, was, he knows what's going to happen before it happens. And now he's warning about pandemic too, so we better all be prepared for that. Well, we better be, but it's probably not going to be a natural phenomenon. Um, so, Having said all of that, again, I don't have the smoking gun on that, but I do, and I I have seen and laid out all of that framework, the preparation, the planning for the institution of medical martial law, which we're starting to get introduced to bit by bit. And of course, it's not going to all wheel out at once. That would be extremely ineffective and people would revolt against it. But it's a little bit at a time. It's indoctrinating people into the system, which is why I think the mask debate that is happening right now in the United States uh, specifically, because I'm in Japan, people here wear masks every flu season. I mean, it's not a big deal here, but it is a big political deal in the United States right now, and I think it is part of the indoctrination that's getting the public used to the idea, okay, here's an invasive, or not not exactly invasive, but at least a, a, a noticeable medical sort of thing that you have to comply with. It is a compliance test, essentially, which is part of that uh, that's going to be an escalation that will lead to mandatory vaccination at some point down the road. And I think they're preparing the public for that. So that kind of framework and that preparation has been laid. And I I talked about this um, 12 years ago in a, a podcast I did on medical martial law, which I updated this year when this all started rolling out, where I go through all of the, the types of planning and uh, the, the documentation and the, the Model State Emergency Health Preparedness Act that was created back around 9-11 and that was rolled out in state after state um, that has basically brought us to this point. That I can point to and I can say, look, clearly, whether spontaneous maybe it really did come from bat soup it doesn't actually matter insofar as the 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 way that they have responded to it is exactly what they they've been <laughs> lusting after so i think 
you know, at some point, obviously, the decision was made, okay, this is the one we're going to use. We're going to jump on this. Let's go for it. Um, but whether or not that was designed, whether it escaped, whether it was completely natural, I don't know. Well, it's it's only a mask, James. It's only a mask, right? Uh, that's how it all begins at this point. And, you know, going back to uh, March, early to mid-March, you know, it was reported that the, the day before the World Health Health Organization declared a global health pandemic due to the coronavirus. The Gates Foundation donated a large sum of money. It was something like $100 million to the to the World Health Organization. What is the significance uh, and what are the implications of the World Health Organization declaring a, a global pandemic? In other words, what kind of doors did that open up, that decision? Well, we can look back to the uh, previous scare, the swine flu scare, um, where People might not remember anymore, but it was, oh my God, this is the end of the world. This could kill us all at that time. And I remember personally here, uh, for example, in Japan, teaching in the public school system, and we had entire schools closed down because a couple of kids came down with the sniffles. Oh, we're all going to die. Let's close down the whole school. It was craziness there for a while. And part of that was uh, talking about the vaccines. We're going to need vaccination for this. And uh, there's been many scandals that I suppose did come out, even in mainstream CBS News, but as uh, John Rappaport and others have reported, well, uh, yeah, that was reported in mainstream sources that, oh, by the way, in fact, most of the people who were deemed positive for swine flu probably never had it at all, and they quietly admitted that months later, but let's sweep that on the rug. And, oh, also, it turned out to be less deadly than a regular flu season, all of that. But one of the interesting things that happened during that, and it was something that I covered at the time, and I've written a few articles about it over the years, was the WHO's response in declaring that swine flu a, whatever whatever the official title was, a pandemic of international concern, or whatever fancy title they gave it, was the specific legal title that it needed in order to uh, essentially necessitate the buying of all these vaccine doses from these pharmaceutical companies. There were a, a number of signatories to the World Health Organization who had essentially some sort of formal deal where when an international health event or whatever is officially declared, we will purchase such, such and such from, you know, such and such companies. So it was the World Health Organization that essentially flipped that switch and necessitated the buying of all these billions of doses of vaccine, which ultimately didn't end up being needed. Um, and as it turned out, oh, lo and behold, as the even the uh, European Council uh, eventually came out and admitted, uh, a lot of the people on the board, the advisory board that made that legal decision to declare it an international health event, were on the boards of the vaccine manufacturers themselves, were financially tied to the big pharma industry that was benefiting from that declaration. That was or should have been a huge scandal. It was admitted. It was brought out in the open. As I say, even the European Council and others were talking about it, but it didn't obviously didn't get the sort of mainstream coverage that uh, that put it into the public consciousness. So people don't remember that that happened, but that's exactly what happened. Similarly, of course, when you declare an international health emergency pandemic, globally spreading pandemic, not only do those types of contracts uh, get kicked off, but then also you, you start to flip these things like the Public State Health Emergency Act, um, which which has been passed in so many states in the United States, for example, that and allow governors to take certain medical martial law steps and things like that. So there are there are real legal um, ramifications to these types of declarations, and who gets to decide that? 
And what are their financial ties? And what does it mean that something like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which is, by the way, also a foundation trust, which is invested in pharmaceutical manufacturers and others that has financial ties to what happens here, what does it mean that they're donating hundreds of millions of dollars to the World Health Organization, the second biggest donator to the World Health Organization right behind the United States, which if they actually do withdraw their funding next year, as they're threatening to do, would make the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation the biggest contributor to the World Health Organization. That That is something. That is, uh, that is a very, very big conflict of interest that to be fair, was almost sort of kind of broached in a recent interview with Bill Gates. The interviewer actually did press a little bit saying, well, don't, aren't, aren't you invested in certain some of the companies that will benefit from these vaccines? And of course, he completely danced around that question. But could you imagine a world in which a, f- a press actually held Gates' feet to the fire on that issue? Because that would start to tease out some of these the implications of what you're talking about there, for example, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation being one of the largest contributors to the World Health Organization. Absolutely. And not only that, uh, great points, by the way, James, there. Um, lots of cause for concern there. But, you know, it also uh, it triggers, you know, like, for example, the rolled back regulations, the, the operation warp speed. I mean, you know, it, it changes the game completely and, and it's just unbelievable to see. And, you know, the, the way you eloquently put it, I mean, how can you not see that there are major conflicts of interest taking place right here? And it's certainly apparent to me that I don't really think that they care about, uh, the public's well-being at this point. Now, uh, speaking of Trump possibly pulling out of the World Health Organization. A lot of people think that this is a done deal already just because he made the announcement here and there. It's not, as you point out. Um, But simultaneously, actually, even before President Trump announced that he was threatening to pull out of the WHO, pull funding, he was funding uh, Gavi, endorsing Gavi. I mean, this is, you know, I mean, what's your take on that? I mean, this is this is a global vaccination campaign that the White House, that Donald Trump's administration is funding, I would assume, with taxpayer money at this point. Right. This goes back to what I think we started this conversation with, which is the idea that it is the president who is deciding and runs the show, which... I I think at this point, at this point, if you still believe that Trump versus Biden is the central deciding issue for the future course of the world, then there's no hope for you. You will never wake up. Because if anything has been exposed in an event like this, it is that the politicians are puppets. They are thrown out there to be the dog toys that the public chew on, and then they're discarded like used birdcage liner, and the new birdcage liner is put in. It doesn't matter if it's Biden or Trump or someone else entirely. The agenda will continue. And exactly, you're exactly right. Yeah, maybe the World Health Organization, maybe the U.S. will pull its funding next year, which is essentially saying to his voting base, hey, vote for me and I'll do this next year. You know, I won't do it this year. I'll do it next year. Trust me, just vote me into office. When would a politician ever lie about something like that? Um, But also, as you say, yeah, even as he's doing that, of course, he's helping to fund Gavi, which is the Bill Gates-run vaccine alliance that has been intimately involved with this agenda, as I pointed out in my Who is Bill Gates documentary. And he's pumping Operation Warp Speed and We Need the Vaccine. And all of the same rhetoric that you would hear from a President Biden is the same stuff you're hearing hearing from President Trump because they run nothing. They are puppets that are being puppeteered. And if you think voting is the way out of this, as I say, there's no hope for you. 
Well, uh, it's been famously said that if uh, voting made a difference, they would make it illegal. And personally, I'm still waiting for uh, the president to drain the swamp. But he unfortunately hasn't. Uh, in fact, he's hired them, <laughs> you know, everything from his own personal uh, defense lawyers to uh, his coronavirus task force to his own administration and staff. Now, James, uh, to me, this entire scenario that we are living in right now is not by chance. Uh, I don't I do not believe that this is an accident. I believe this is by design. And this fits perfectly, in my opinion, into the Hegelian dialectic. Problem, reaction, solution. We have the problem, the coronavirus. We have the reaction, the locking down of billions of people, controlled demolition of the economy, wiping out the middle class, civil unrest, more people becoming more dependent upon this government and this system of control, and essentially destroying this current system only to have the same World Economic Forum that hosted Event 201 announce their proposed solution, which is, of course, the Great Reset and the Fourth Industrial Revolution. Now, in your view, uh, what does the Great Reset look like and what's going to be at the end of this road that we're heading down right now? The Great Reset is nothing other than the New World Order, or whatever you want to call it. What I've been talking about for a decade plus at the Corbett Report, everything I have been warning about is being encapsulated in this agenda that's being pushed right now. Admittedly, not necessarily to do with the pandemic per se. I mean, what, what, why do we have to address green technologies and things as part of the pandemic? Does that have any relation? No, but it is convenient, as they even openly admit, this is a convenient time to put everything on the table. We can change everything. So Agenda 2030 seems to have been ramped up to Agenda 2020. And that is essentially what is happening right now. It's the transformation of everything, including the economy. But when we say the economy, people have been trained to think that that means stock prices or something. No, it means literally the base uh, level of all transactions and interactions that we have in the public are being transformed right now, right under our nose. And again, this isn't something we have to guess at or, or kind of read the tea leaves. No, they've laid it out in policy documents, in entire organizations, the Better Than Cash Alliance and other things. Again, Gates fingerprints all over that or, or the uh, ID2020. All of these things are are already out there, and we're looking, they, they were the hammer, looking for a nail. Here's the pandemic, it's the nail they're going to use to bash the public down into compliance on every level, in every front, so that your life will be controlled in ways that would have been unthinkable. Even at the beginning of this year, you would have been a crazy conspiracy theorist for even talking about this kind of stuff, as I have been for the past decade plus, as I know you have been in your work. But... Now it's not it. Now it's just basic reality. Well, of course, we're going to have to get rid of cash. And of course, we're going to have to create these digital dollars where you'll have a bank account that's tied directly to the Federal Reserve that'll give you your UBI. Don't worry, you'll be taken care of by mommy and daddy government. And yes, it will mean that you will have to live by the dictates of the medical martial law uh, authoritarians. And you know, that's just a mask for now. And yeah, you'll have to roll up your sleeve at some point, but don't worry, it's all for your own good. Um, this is the this is the excuse to do everything that the social engineers have wanted to do, um, which uh, is particularly scary because as I've talked about time and time again, the ultimate end of this agenda is 
uh, as Bertrand Russell wrote about in uh, talking about the the uh, science and where it was heading, scientific dictatorship, where he talked about ultimately through diet injection and injunction was his favorite fam- famous phrase or what should be famous. Uh, they were going to manipulate and and form a public for whom a, a revolting rising up against the the ruling class would be as unthinkable as a rising up of sheep against the practice of eating mudden. That was his phrase. And I think that's ultimately <clears throat> it. And the technology for doing that has been on the table for over half a century now. Uh, uh, Aldous Huxley was talking about it with the ultimate revolution 50 plus years ago, talking about brain wiring into people's brains and being able to control their emotions and things like that. You had Jose Delgado with the, the chip that was implanted in the bull that could make a, a charging bull stop dead in its tracks just by remote control. They have had this type of technology on the table for decades and decades and decades. Here is another chance to start indoctrinating the public to it. And lo and behold, the Wall Street Journal starts to come out and talks about uh, looking forward to the end of humanity. And, oh, transhumanism might be the way forward because we have these icky bodies that might get infected by viruses, all these, these flesh organic gooey messes that we inhabit wouldn't it be so great if we could just plug directly into the matrix and oh and lo and behold here's elon musk coming along with an update on Neuralink, and he's you can stream music directly into your brain yay wow this is going to be so cool this is it they are literally looking forward to the end of humanity and they are telling you that in their own words and a lot of people still truly do not even know that this agenda exists let alone understand it or the technology behind it or the fact that the vaccines, which, as Catherine Austin Fitz points out, shouldn't even be called vaccines, because that's not even what they're going to be uh, in the future, are going to essentially engineer us at a genomic level, as I know you've talked about on your program, and will be, uh, they're working on technology so that they will be able to update your vaccine. You'll, they'll, you'll give you one, and it will be, they'll be able to remotely update it so that they can alter your genome at a moment's notice. You don't think that's going to fundamentally change the calculus of what humanity even is, let alone how we resist this agenda? This is it. There is no more time to wait. This is it. We are coming to the head. This is what the Great Reset is all about. And that's why there is, there's truly nothing more important in the history of humanity to this point than what we do in the coming years. This is it. This is the deciding factor in the future history of the human race. James, uh, it's, it's well said, well explained, and I would have to agree with you completely, 100%. This is the most important time of our lives that we're living in right now. The most important time, perhaps, in humanity taking place right now. And if we don't stand up and resist right now, there won't be anything left to defend. There won't be anything left. I mean, it's unbelievable. They, the, they have These social engineers have decided already for humanity the future of humanity. And it is not human at all. It is unbelievable. The And as you stated, you pointed out, they have laid it all, all the cards out on the table. They're incrementally getting us ready for this for generations. And it's here. The time is here. It's happening right now. And this is un- unbelievable. And people uh, willingly obey and 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 just not, not only obey, but they love their servitude at this point. It is unbelievable to see taking place right now. Time is short. I think we can all feel that. And speaking of the vaccines, you, which you mentioned there, uh, you know, getting back to Bill Gates here, uh, by the way, really great job on your Bill Gates series. Uh, you and Brock West did a top notch job. My hat is off to both of you. Uh, fantastic work. 
Thank you for doing that. But the vaccine is coming and it's coming fast. It's being rushed through right now with these rollback regulations. If they don't already have it, some people say, you know, they probably already have it. But, you know, I've been seeing the discussion about who should be receiving this vaccine first, uh, you know, because initially they're going to have a limited amount. Uh, this is and the first thing that popped into my head when I seen this discussion about who is going to be the first one to receive this brand new experimental vaccine. A report that you did popped into my head talking about a, a sales tactic of creating artificial scarcity. Uh, in your opinion, does this apply here? And could you please recap if, if you n remember the report I'm talking about, what, what I'm referring to here? Uh, yes, I don't remember the name of the report right off my head. I believe it's why are potatoes so popular or something like that. Um, but it had to do with the story of how potatoes were popularized in France in the 18th century um, when they were essentially they were deemed not fit for human consumption. They were pig food. P potatoes? P people don't eat that. Uh, there was a particular crusading uh, French um, gastronomist. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what his title was. But he came along and he popularized the potato because he, f he figured, oh, this will be a great, you know, it'll be good for curing dysentery and what have you. Um, so he came along and popularized the potato. How did he do that? He, he had a number of different kind of PR things, inviting the you know, royalty over to his place to eat potato soup and things like this. But um, one of the tactics that he used was to put guards around one of his potato fields, armed guards. And then he told the guards, allow anyone to steal from this potato uh, garden, anything, uh, except bribes, look the other way, whatever you have to do, just let people steal from it. And so when people saw the armed guards around this potato crop, they, oh, wow, what's this? It must be valuable. So people wanted to come and take it. And then they got some and, oh, I got some of these. And uh, through tactics and, st and stupid PR stuff like that, but it is stuff that works. It works on the basic human psychology. Oh, it's, it's scarce. People are guarding it. We must want it. And in that particular report, uh, I, I contrasted that to the 2009 swine flu again, where um, there were shortages of the flu vaccine. And oh no, oh, the, people are having to line up for hours in order to get their flu vaccine. And people are thinking, oh, this is just crazy. I, I need to be protected. So it actually drove people more and more to want this vaccine that, as we now know, was completely ineffectual against what it even claimed to be protecting you against, which was even less deadly than the regular flu. But somehow it became valuable in people's minds. And I have a clip in there of the CFR talking about that as a, a way of getting the public behind accepting vaccines is to make them scarce. So you better believe that is going to be part of the discussion that is going to be rolled out to make people want these vaccines. I don't think they want to make them literally legally mandatory. I think that would be the last step in this process. The first step is to get at least the majority, the vast majority of the population on board with wanting the vaccine. You don't want to force people at gunpoint to take it. You want people to want it, to clamber for it. And part of that is going to be, oh, we only have... 50 million doses, so we're going to have to choose who gets it first, and do you? Oh, will you be one of the lucky ones to get this vaccine? And there's going to be a whole discussion around that, and you might have seen Melinda Gates, interestingly, was talking about that, and she said, well, after the you know, frontline healthcare workers, we'll have to start giving it to minorities, people of color, who are affected by this pandemic. Oh, yes, because they love the people of color, and they're so concerned about the poor black babies on the other side of the planet, and oh, the poor people in India who they've helped uh, with their polio eradication and things like that, right? Right? Oh, wait, the more you look into it and the more you look into the eugenicist roots 
of people like the Gates and uh, and their like-minded organizations and fellows, you start to realize, oh, this isn't exactly they're trying to help these poor people of color and others. But again, it is part of that discussion. We have to ration this. So who will get it first and who will be the lucky ones to roll up their sleeves first? That is a tactic that will be used to get the pe- people to desire this vaccine rather than to put a gun to your head and say you have to take it. You know, in Bill Gates and Melinda Gates and and others, they champion uh, vaccines, you know, and, and the reference that they use is eradicating polio. They, they say that, oh, you know, the vaccine, look at how great it is. It, it eradicated polio. But it, what none of the media or anyone interviewing ever asks or says or brings up, you know, is the fact that uh, during the 50s and 60s, the polio vaccine was contaminated with the simian virus 40, you know, SV40 virus that was administered to almost 100 million people. It was like a 99 million people. And that contaminated vaccine is documented to have caused cancer, numerous different types of tumors and illnesses and diseases in people. And it's just unbelievable to see that nobody brings it up. Of course, the media is compromised. It's a joke. But I mean, this is the the world that we live in now. This is why the work that you're doing is so important and so many others out there is so important. And, uh, you know, I, I would just love to see somebody really just stick it to Gates in, in an interview, you know, like just one-on-one, bam, stick it to him, hold his feet to the fire, like you said. Uh, but James, a, a question for you here. How much money would it take for you to take the COVID vaccine? I mean, come on, everybody has a price, right? <laughs> Yes, well, if money is people's motivating factor here, then they've already lost the game. Because because at the very least, the banksters who create the money out of nothing know what money is worth in that sense, what their fiat dollars is worth. It's it's nothing. They literally create it out of nothing. It's a game. Uh, All the money is is just a point system in the Monopoly game. How many points do you have? At the end of the game, it doesn't really matter as long as you win the game. And that's what it's ultimately about, which is also why uh, implode, uh, controlled demolition of the economy can be done for the benefit of the banksters and the owners of the economy. For people who don't understand that, why would they destroy an economy when they are so invested in it? It's because who ends up owning the rubble afterwards is the game that they are playing here. So they don't necessarily care whether that rubble is perfectly ordered or completely destroyed as long as they own it and the people... Um, uh, abiding in those uh, blown out dwellings. And that is what the game is about. So yes, if people have a monetary price at this point, again, they're not paying attention to how the world is really working. Obviously, unfortunately, we do need these worthless pieces of paper in order to live and to function in today's society. Um, But that is to our detriment. And uh, because it is a game that is rigged and controlled, which brings us back to the solution side of this, which is ultimately... I want to make absolutely underline that every all the solutions that I've been talking about for years, it's not like they've become meaningless in the wake of this great reset and what's going on now. No, no, no. They've been underlined and ma- amplified a thousand times by what's going on right now. The way that we combat this agenda is, first of all, non-compliance. Do not comply with the dictates of this agenda. And that will mean you will become a thought criminal at first and a criminal criminal at some point when the medical martial law really gets amped up. And people need to, I think, understand, internalize, and accept that that is coming. And start to draw your lines in the sand now. 
well, maybe I'll put on the mask, but I won't roll up my sleeve. Whatever it is, I'm not here to tell you what your line in the sand should be, but at any rate, you should have one, and you should decide on it now before it becomes the crisis situation, because we will need to stop complying with the dictates of the would-be medical tyrants at some point. Um, this is something I talked about recently in a conversation about Etienne de la Boeti and uh, the the discourse on voluntary servitude, the politics of obedience, a 500-year-old book that spells it out, I think, as well as anything that was written today could possibly spell it out. Tyrants are only capable of tyrannizing the public because the public goes along with their dictates. When the public stops complying, the tyrant is not a tyrant. They cannot enforce their will on everyone. And that is still true, at least in this sliver of opportunity we have before they unleash the robot dogs and whatever else that they're they're testing and that we're starting to see coming online and the police departments are getting their hands on. Defund the police, but let's uh, make sure they have a lot of, you know, robotic officers and drones and things and nanotechnology and whatever is coming next. So this is our window of time for non-compliance. And then beyond that, beyond simply saying no, we also have to have an alternative. And that's what I've been talking about for years and years, building up the alternative so that people will have something to go to rather than just saying, well, okay, you're going to have to get rid of everything you have and everyone you know and everything you own and just go and live in the wilderness and eat bugs and rainwater. That's not going to appeal to many people. That is not going to be something that's going to work. You're going to have to have an institutional infra infrastructure and in uh, as something set up so that people can actually function in an alternative economy. That's going to require alternative and local and complementary currencies and those types of things, ways of exchanging between people physically as well as uh, digitally, you know, through distances. It's going to involve new relations, different ways of thinking about how we interact with each other, obviously working in gray and black markets and under the table and, and other ways that go outside the system, because at some point you're going to become an outlaw if you don't get on board with whatever it is, the vaccine or whatever it is. And you're going to have to have some sort of framework for dealing with that. The time to really do that was probably a hundred years ago, let alone 10 years ago, let alone last year, let alone today. But at any rate, if it's today, well, then you better start today because it's not going to become any easier tomorrow. Uh, that's that's right, James. Time is short, uh, as we stated earlier. And this is an agenda that has been in the works for a long time. And now we're seeing it roll out right now in real time. And uh, you know, every day that passes, we become another step closer uh, to this full implementation of this this agenda that's taking place right now. And, you know, there's a famous quote saying that the amount of tyranny you will live under is the exact amount you will put up with. I mean, we are giving our consent to these tyrants uh, to rule over us and to dictate to us. You know, I mean, it's, it's completely ridiculous. And when you look at it, like what you're talking about here with the, you know, uh, like the black market stuff, you know, the, that's why they're wanting to get rid of cash right now is, is because cash offers that level of anonymity. You know, and uh, you, so, James, I, I know you're a busy man and I thank you for your time. I really do. I don't want to keep you for too long, but this goes right into what I think is perhaps the most important uh, and alarming aspect of this entire situation. And that's the digitalization of our entire lives. Uh, this is, in my view, the motivation behind this manufactured crisis. You know, this is they're they're going right now to fully implement this new system of control, which essentially will be the cherry on top of the international surveillance state uh, where we will be tied into the population control grid, as you put it in, in one of your reports there. And it's happening right now. Uh, they are serious when they are saying that things are not going to go back to normal. 
You know, they, they really, they're, they're going for broke here, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, times seem much more simple, uh, much simpler <laughs> just seven, six, seven months ago, back when we were just regular debt slaves to the central banks. But, you know, uh, I know you've kind of already elaborated on this a little bit, but can you please provide like a glimpse as James Corbett sees the future of humanity once we're all tied into this control grid, uh, this digitalized system of control that's coming our way? And, and you know, you did talk about ways we can uh, resist. But I mean, you know, that's, that's uh, I think, probably the most important point, too, of course, is, you know, how we resist this new system of control. Well, if you want to understand what where this agenda is heading, just take a look at what they are trying to outlaw or push to the side. And, and you'll see, of course, cash was demonized right from the start of this. Oh, you might get virus from cash, so don't use that. And now we have the coin shortages and other things that are coming about to further ensconce the idea that you're not going to be trading in cash for very much longer, at least not in any degree of, uh, in any great uh, transaction amounts. And again, that does point to something. Why do they not want you to be able to transact in physical cash? It's because the digital economy will be completely controlled top to bottom in the type of, I mean, it's the, the mark of the beast type system. I mean, I don't know, whatever you think of that as a prophecy, at any rate, that is what is being literalized here in the idea that people can be turned on or turned off their ability to buy and sell in the marketplace based on their social credit score or their compliance with the vaccine mandate or whatever it is. Oh, you're not going to be able to sell until you get whatever it is, the vaccine or whatever it is. So that is becoming literalized. And that might not happen this year or next year, but this is the infrastructure that is being put in place right now that will allow this to happen. And even if, for some reason, at some point, the normiest of normies, for some reason, is listening to our conversation and swallows everything the mainstream says and really believes Bill Gates loves them and their family and wants to protect them. Hey, great. But can you imagine if we put in this type of digital economy uh, slave grid and someone who isn't as wonderful and loving and generous and philanthropic as Bill Gates, someone who actually has a bit of selfishness in their heart, gets into that position of control over that economy and flips the switch and says, you must do what I say or you cannot buy and sell. Could you even imagine that happening? Do, do you think there's a reason why we might not want to put this system in place? Yes. Look at some of the other dictates that we're getting now. Uh, for example, what is the one of the main mandates we have been told since the beginning? Social distancing. We have to keep our physical distance from other human beings. Do not gather in large groups. I was just reading about the absolute insanity in Melbourne where there was a family that had a, a family birthday party and they had they were having people over to their house in contravention of the, 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 the law of the land there in Melbourne and uh, they found out about it because they went to KFC to order some food, if you can call it that, for their, their party, and they were ordering a lot of it. And so there were some health, some ambulance drivers or something that were in there in the store that saw them ordering that and reported that to the police. The police st stuck, staked them out and went to their house and found them and found all the people hiding around in their house, hiding under beds and things. And they dragged them out, charged them. They're now facing $24,000 worth of fines because they dared to have a birthday party. Uh, you know, we've all heard the stories. You can't have funerals with more than ten people, or you can't you can't go to the hospital to see your dying relative because of this COVID nonsense. But you can gather in groups of hundreds of thousands to attend, you know, some some George Floyd's funeral or whatever it is, or be out on the streets. That's fine, but you can't attend your own grandma's funeral. All of the insanity 
centers again around this idea of physical proximity to other human beings is increasingly being, uh, if not outlawed entirely, although sometimes outlawed entirely, but at any rate, certainly uh, uh, turned into something icky and something that we're going to have to avoid because the future is digital in which all of our interactions are going to be like you and me here, Spiro. We are talking digitally in a forum that is completely surveilled and controlled and they will be able to know what people are saying and doing at every time where we physically are and all of this will be embedded in the data that is being snarfed up by the NSA uh, that is the future of human relations. No no physical contact, no anonymity in transaction, no ability to do what you want when you want and not have the government there as the third party in every everything you do. That is the future of the Great Reset. And that, again, I can't imagine anybody, anybody at all who would not resist that if they really saw that picture coming into view, even, as I say, even the normiest of normies who believes that their their leaders are wonderful, brilliant, beautiful people who just love them to death. The idea of putting in a system like that into place where if someone of ill intent got into the position of power could become the ultimate dictator in all of human history beyond the dreams of avarice of any tyrant that has ever existed in the world with all this technology at their disposal. No one wants that to come into place. But it's because it is not being presented to you in that manner. It's just a little bit here, a little bit there. You're a crazy conspiracy theorist if you question any of this. And and the sheeple are led along through the cart towards the slaughterhouse a little bit at a time. And that's that's how it always works. So again, the only the only solution right now is disobedience, non-compliance, hell no. And we have to start flexing that muscle because it is a muscle that we that can atrophy or it can grow depending how much we use it. So we have to start saying no and not caring if uh-oh, what if people think I'm a conspiracy theorist or what if people don't think I'm a whatever, a Republican or whatever it is in your particular local context. Who cares? You have to start resisting this agenda. And that's why I think this exposed Bill Gates Day is an important thing. This this is a, a, a non-compliance test. If the mask is the compliance test, here is a non-compliance test. Can you go out there and physically enact in the real world your non-compliance, your disobedience to this agenda? Whatever form that takes, and I'm not, as, as I talked about this recently with Derek Rose, I'm not telling anyone how to do this or what to do or what not to do. Do whatever you feel like, but just in some way manifest this in your life and demonstrate to others that you are not in compliance with this agenda in whatever form that takes. And, uh, and so this is, and as, as we've talked about, there's going to be an exposed Bill Gates Day this Saturday, August 8th. But the second Saturday of every month from then on, as long as people want to continue this on and as deeper we get into this agenda, the more important it will probably become to manifest our noncompliance. We can be like the people in Berlin, the million people, if you uh, listen to the organizers and some of the police off the record, the 10,000 people or whatever the MSM is reporting. But at any rate, lots of ordinary Germans are getting out there and saying, hell no, we will not comply. This this is not the agenda we signed up for. We are not going to go along with it. That is great. And we have to manifest that. And it will not be touted in the mainstream establishment press. They will not blow our horns for us and say, we're doing such a great job. They will continue to threaten and denigrate and smear us at every opportunity. And of course, to censor us, which is happening in 
increasingly online, as people already know by now. That is, that is actually a sign that we are having an effect. They would not be so worried about what we are doing here and what we are manifesting if, they, if we were having zero effect. They would just let it go. But no, they, they are trying to stamp this message out. That is because it is the most important message that we can be hearing right now. Do not comply. Do not go along with this. Absolutely right, James. And that was going to be my uh, re- response to to the g- many great points that you just made right there. Uh, you know, especially, of course, yes, noncompliance is the key. Civil disobedience is the key. Uh, but, you know, you speak out, be ready to be silenced. But that's why they're conducting these psychological operations on us. It's it, That's why they're trying to shame you and, and label you as, as derogatory tor- terms. And it's because we have the power. We have the numbers. And it doesn't take everybody to, to, to stand up, you know, to, to make a difference. It, it, just a small percentage of the population still equates to millions and millions of people like we did see there in Germany. A lot of people out there taking to the streets saying, like you said, hell no, we're, we're, we're done with this. And, and that's essentially what, what it's going to take. And, and that's why they're trying to pile down and pile drive the psychological operations on us right now to make you feel like you were alone, to, to keep us all separated, to prevent us from having discussions and communications. It's unbelievable to see taking place here. James, you laid it out beautifully. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't already made your way over to the Corbett Report and the Corbett Report extras on YouTube, please do so now. I'm going to leave links down no. there. Don't go to YouTube. No, no, no. Get off of YouTube. It is a control platform. I'm out there on YouTube because I can reach people who haven't heard the message or haven't gotten the idea yet. But if you know this, and if you have just listened to everything we've been talking about, the agenda and where this is heading, and you're still using YouTube to get your information, then again, nothing will ever wake you up. You are lost. Do not go to YouTube. I have a website, CorbettReport.com. You can go there, and from there you can find links to BitChute and library and mines and other places where I have my material. I also host all of my videos on my own server. So if you know this, if you know all of what we've just talked about and you're still going to YouTube, you're part of the problem. Well said, James. It, it would be, I wouldn't be doing my job as, as an interviewer if I didn't plug, plug you know. I understand, I was going but to. let's not plug was, YouTube. Let's not plug them. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, CorbettReport.com, I would say, is probably the best place to go. Uh, you do offer a membership there at your website. Can you please share with us, uh, you know, how much is a membership? Where does that money go? And what, what do people get with a monthly subscription there? You can become a member of the Corbett Report website for as little as $1 a month. It can be as much as you want. Actually, up to $1,000 per year. I don't accept more than that, but I don't usually get more than that, so it's not a problem. But uh, as little as $1 a month will get you a membership of the website, which gets you absolutely nothing. <laughs> well, pretty much nothing. You get a login, so you can log into the website and leave comments on the, uh, and you can access the subscriber newsletter. But my editorial is posted up for free online every week anyway, so there's really no hidden information. You don't get any secret access to any hidden trove of information. I put everything out there in front of the paywall. I don't paywall anything because I want this information out there. 
And I never, ever ask anyone who's new to my work to sign up to be a member. Why would you? No, if you have been following me for years or if you've looked into my archives and you appreciate the work that I'm doing, then please subscribe to make this work possible. And as you say, it's not just me. It also pays for Brock West, who does the video editing. And as you say, he's knocking it out of the park. Uh, the video editing on that Bill Gates series is absolutely incredible, and I obviously could not be doing this work without him uh, helping me out at this point. And that is... That is only made possible by the support of people out there. I know it is getting harder right now because of the economic straits that people are finding themselves in. And I know a lot of people are having to cancel their subscriptions because they've just lost their job or whatever. Again, if this in any way is a financial burden on you, please keep your money. Save it. Do not give it to me. Use it for your family, obviously. Uh, it's only if you have the ability to support this work, please do, because I am doing my level best to get this word out there on this information. If you like that, then you can support it. But as I say, um, it doesn't give you any special inside access to any information. Uh, James, you know, thanks so much. Brock West, of course, a big shout out to, to Brock West. He's, he helped me uh, a lot, you know, and, and I, I, I love the fact that, that he was able to help me a lot with, with my own video editing, to giving me tips, showing me how to do stuff. I mean, he, between, you know, he was a big part in, in what I'm doing now as far as uh, being able to edit my own videos. And, and he uh, is is awesome at what he does, no doubt about it. And, and James, top notch. You guys make a hell of a team. Uh, any, any final points or maybe that yeah, you'd like to share? I have one more motivational point out there for people because a lot of people might be listening to your conversation and think, I don't know anyone who agrees with me or I, I, what's, what difference is it going to make? And that may be true. That may be true. You maybe don't know anyone who, who agrees with you on this. Uh, so you might think, well, what does it matter if I get out there on the street on August 8th with a sign and look like a crazy person all by myself? Here's two points to make. One is you are, everyone's intuition is correct. If there is non-compliance by a few scattered people here and there, it will amount to nothing. It will be squashed and the agenda will roll forward. But that is not our, that is not within our ability to affect. What is within our ability to affect is what we do. I can make decisions for myself and my family in conjunction with my wife. <laughs> we can make our decisions and we decide what we do with our lives. Uh, what other people are going to do or not do, we can't control, but we can influence. So even if you are the only person that you know who believes this stuff and you might, uh, people might deride you as a conspiracy theorist or whatever it is, still, if you manifest this out there in the world, I guarantee A, you will meet like-minded people and B, you will plant the seeds that can flower into something, into resistance in other people. They may see what you are doing and that's interesting. Uh, what's he talking about? The, it will fire and spark that curiosity in other people, and it's the ripple effect. You will never know what effect you have had by manifesting your non-compliance with this agenda, but there's some sort of effect out there, and uh, all we can do is take it within our responsibility what we decide to do. So if you decide, every single person who's listening right now, to do something on August 8th, and however little that dip of the toe into the water is, to do something to manifest this, to spread this information to others, whatever it is, then that is the first step. And it will only be the first step. And no, the agenda will not be derailed on August 8th. But next month and next month and next month, it can be the snowball that grows. So we have to do what we can do and let the chips fall where they may. We can't control where this is all heading. But I can tell you one thing. If we all just say, well, it's not going to work and we can't do anything, then it won't. We will lose. Uh, 
So you either have 100% chance of failure or some non-100% chance of failure. I know which side of that equation I want to fall on. Well, James, your your work really does uh, shine through, and, and that's a major contribution. And, you know, if we do nothing, um, we lose everything. I mean, at the end of the day, that's it. We, we lose everything. What we have left, this illusion of freedom that we have left at this point as they're being, uh, you know, our civil liberties are being chipped away, uh, you know, generation by generation. So, James, I, I thank you so much for being my guest today. Uh, I would, of course, like to also thank the viewers who do watch and share these reports and the interviews. Please be sure to share this one far and wide. It's very important. Uh Stay tuned for more. There's going to be a lot more coming up. And, and look in the show notes of this video for the links. You'll be able to find everything, uh, every site, everywhere you can for James Corbett. Uh, I'm Spiro. Thanks so much. Stay tuned for more.